everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. I'm Lisa Pettibone, and although I try to be funny, this week's still about money. This month, I talked about climate finance. In episode nine, I focused on how money contributes to climate change. In episode 10, I changed my German bank account to a green bank. And in episode 11, last week, I found out that U.S. green mutual funds aren't really that green, which got me a bit down. But in the real world, beyond my life on this podcast, I've talked to a few listeners and other friends who've been motivated to change their bank accounts, which warms my tiny little heart. This week, I wanted to talk about what I've learned this month. When I teach sustainability, I use five principles, the last of which is reflexivity. That means that sustainability calls for us to check in regularly, see if what we're doing makes sense, and think about next steps. So I thought I would do that for climate finance. The biggest thing I learned is something I already suspected. Changing to a green bank can make a big difference in reducing your carbon footprint. It's something that's not captured by current carbon calculators, so maybe it's not on people's radars. It should be. I've been on a climate diet for four months now, and I've shed by far the most carbon emissions this month. It's also been nice for me to see how much carbon I've already saved by having some of my money in green accounts. One of the main reasons that changing your bank account can be such a big deal is, as I said before, it's a one-time change. You change your bank account, and then it saves carbon without you actively thinking about it. This is different from more active personal changes like diet or transportation, where you have to keep making that decision again and again. Here, once you have your money in a green account, it's there. It's easier to leave it there than change back. One thing I haven't talked about yet, though, is also a big factor here, and that's how much money you have. In most personal climate actions, less is better. Buying less, using less, being more energy efficient, always the way to go for the planet. Here, though, one of the main reasons I've been able to save carbon with my green savings account is because I earned enough and lived cheaply enough, so spent little enough, to afford to put away money. If you're still a student or living paycheck to paycheck, you may not have a mutual fund or a rainy day savings account. If you're listening and that relates to you, you should start saving now anyway. I'm a big saving advocate. And here, one of my favorite books is Your Money or Your Life, uh, which is a book that links personal finance to voluntary simplicity and has really interesting tools to basically make you rejigger your life so that you work the way you want to and learn how to save much, much more than you think you could. But not all of the factors related to saving are in an individual's control. At any rate, what I'm monologuing about is the idea that rich people have a larger role to play in climate finance than the poor. That's something that gives me a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth um, because I don't like the idea that 
we can say I don't have to do something because someone else is more responsible. But here it is something that I want to acknowledge. To some extent, it means that students going to Fridays for Future or the poorest people, often those most impacted by climate change, aren't able to play the leading role here. But it's also an opportunity for the world's richest inhabitants to use their money for good. It means if you are lucky enough that you've saved a lot of money, that you have a mutual fund, you can really increase your impact with your money. And even if you're not Mr. Moneybags, you can work to make finance greener. If you're a college student, you can fight for your institution to divest its endowment and investments from fossil fuels. You can do the same for your retirement account if you're in the workforce. You can write your political representatives to support policy mechanisms like a carbon tax or renewable energy subsidy that will make green investments more attractive. Or you can start a green bank yourself. Because this is maybe the because this is maybe the biggest difference I found in the last few weeks. And it's something that shows me the limits of individual action, at least in certain countries. If you live in the United States, it doesn't make sense to open a checking account in Germany. At the same time, there aren't green banks in the US like there are here in Germany, at least not that I've found. So what can you do? Over the weekend, I talked to a friend visiting from the Czech Republic who said she was convinced by the last few episodes she's ready to change her bank account, but there's no place to put her money where she lives. So it really made me fantasize about a grassroots movement to start green banks all over the world. If you've started a green bank or are thinking about it, I'd really love to hear from you because this is something, doing these last three weeks, I've become more convinced that that's something that's missing a bit from the climate movement. What's giving me hope this week? I recently saw a really great German documentary called Die Rote Linie, or The Red Line. The film is about the climate resistance in Hambach Forest, an issue I'd kind of half known about, but hadn't really done a deep dive into. If you've seen the recent film Anthropocene, the enormous open pit coal mine they show is at Hambach. Die Rote Linie, whose title refers to the red line discussed at Paris, shows the other side. The residents who've had to move so that entire villages can be bulldozed for the mines, the citizen activists working in the forest and door to door, for a solution that can save as many homes and trees as possible, and the activists who've been living in tree houses in the forest to try to build awareness for the issue of climate change and slow the clear-cutting. It's a complex story, and for me, the biggest takeaway was the sense that it's all hands on deck. At the beginning of the movie, and I have to admit one of the reasons I wanted to see it, was to get a warm feeling about how amazing these forest activists are who have lived for years in the woods. And to that, I would have probably responded, well, I have a young kid. I can't go off and live like that. I'm grateful that they're doing it. Great for them. But that's their job. But while I was watching this movie, as I thought that or wanted to think that, the movie cut to a woman in her 60s who talked about how she donates food and clothes to the activists. 
Other scenes showed people signing petitions, coming to the forest for a weekend protest, or even coming to witness police and activists' interactions so that there could be more perspectives on the issue, which has become very black and white in the press. Others met as part of an attempted peace process between activists and the coal company doing the clear-cutting. You really can't come away from this movie not feeling excited that so many people are doing so much to stop climate change. But you also end up thinking that there's more that you can do. It's like getting a gentle, motivating kick in the pants. It was also really great for me to see this movie now because it totally hit home on what I've talked about at the beginning of this month. You may remember that I talked for length about Bill McKibben's piece in 2012, which said that a huge coming problem in the climate fight is going to be getting multinational corporations to leave $20 trillion in the ground. Having that in the back of my mind was very helpful to understand the actions of the coal company profiled here. Throughout the film, they go back to their legal rights that they own the land. And they win case after case in court because they bought those rights fair and square and they legally are allowed to clear cut everything on the land and dig for that coal. The activists also know that they can't win just by asking a coal company to voluntarily stop the mine. They have to go to court and they have to cite things like endangered species, for example. There is no precedent globally to force a fossil fuel company to leave its assets in the ground to stop climate change. Although there are a few court cases pending that may make that ruling. And I couldn't help but think that hitting them from the other side, taking all of our money out of fossil fuel investments, is a great way to complement the direct action seen in the film. In a throwaway line at a shareholders meeting, the company chief says that the firm's stock dropped 50% from 2015 to 2016. I thought, let's get it down to zero. Die Rote Linie is not playing regularly in Berlin anymore, although it is going to show at an open-air theater in a few weeks. But it's going to be on tour with Greenpeace over the summer and on DVD in August. I hope it will be streaming internationally, and I hope that you check it out. Die Rote Linie or The Red Line? So far, this has been my climate diet. I'm a happy and willing guinea pig, and I've learned a lot on my journey so far. But for me, and not just because I recently saw this film, Die Rote Linie, going on a climate diet has always been something I don't want to do alone. So next month, I'm going to share some voices from others who have climate tips of their own. I also want to share a great letter that I got from Marjorie Millett. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Marjorie. With enough questions to fill an entire episode. It was sort of like getting a letter from me a year ago, because so many of her current challenges are things I've grappled with and seen as big problems in my life as well. Um, So thank you, Marjorie, for listening. And I look forward to giving you my thoughts at length at some time next month. Thanks for listening. For links and more information about what I talked about this week, go to my website, myclimatediet.org. The music in this podcast is by David from Kvetz. 
I'd love to hear from you too. So feel free to write me an email with your climate question or climate solution to lisa at myclimatediet.org. Rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, share it with your friends, and consider starting a climate diet of your own. Because if we were all to go on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world. I told the